invite you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 1 this morning. Acts chapter 1. It's so good to be back in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. We were gone last Sunday at an event. This morning I was walking in the hallways and I smelled fish and I just thought, it's so good to be back here at our church. I don't know where that fish came from, but it was fresh. Acts chapter 1, titled this message, Can I Get a Witness? Can I Get a Witness? Acts chapter 1, there's a story of the great evangelist of the 19th century, Dwight L. Moody. He had a habit of wanting to share the gospel with somebody one time, at least one time, in a 24-hour time span. And so that was his habit. Many times he would wait until right before he went to sleep, and he would remember, man, I forgot, I have not talked with anybody today about their soul. And so oftentimes he would have to get out of the bed, put his clothes on, and go walk the streets to find somebody to talk to about Jesus. And one night, Late one night, about 11.30, he went and found a man. He saw a man leaning against a lamppost in downtown Chicago. D.L. Moody walked up to him and said, Sir, are you a Christian? The man says, It's not any of your business if I'm a Christian or not. And if I, didn't, if I did not know that you are Moody, I'd punch you in the gut right now. Well, Moody wasn't known for his fighting on the street, so he backed off and went home. A few weeks goes by, and about midnight, Moody hears a loud pounding on the door. Moody, get up. We need to talk. Moody looked through the window, and he thought, I'm about to get beat up. It's my night. So he opens the door, and the man says, I have not been able to sleep for two weeks since we've talked. And I, I come tonight, I want to ask you to help me. Do, help me pray, help me do whatever I need to do to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And so he came inside of Moody's house, and Moody led him to the Lord, shared the gospel, explained the gospel, and the man was saved. A few months later, that man died in the Civil War, fighting for his country. Are you a witness for Jesus? Here in the book of Acts, we see that God begins to move in a powerful way through his people. You see, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is all about Jesus wearing skin. God in the flesh, right? The life of Christ. We saw the Lord do many miraculous, wonderful things. Well, the book of Acts is all about Jesus in the skin of his disciples. And then today, in 2019, it's about Jesus in the skin of his disciples. You see, the book of Acts here, in your Bible, you may see there in chapter 1 above, it may say the Acts of the Apostles, or your Bible may say something different. That was put there by the publishers who published the Bible. That is not inspired text that we have from the Lord. Did you know that? 
the little title, The Acts of the Apostles. In fact, it should read, The Acts of Jesus through his disciples. The Acts of the Lord. You see, Jesus Christ is all through these pages in the book of Acts. Now, the Lord had come back to life. Many eyewitnesses saw him here in this context in Acts chapter 1. The disciples were just a small group of ordinary people. There wasn't a lot of prestige. There wasn't a lot of accolades. And this small, tiny group of people who had very little resources went out. And the, the Acts chapter 17 says that they were known as the guys who turned the world upside down. Why is that? Was it because they went and read the latest Christian book, the number one Christian book in America? I don't think so. Was it because they listened to the, the, the best podcast of the latest teaching Bible communicator guru in the land? I don't think so. No, it's, it was because they were weak enough to depend upon God. You see, God begins to move in power. You know why? Because it was him working through his people. Jesus is alive. Did you know that? He's alive. I want to invite you to look at verse 6. We're going to read verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, now we're all together today. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, he being Jesus, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in all and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men. How many, church? Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Wow. Did you know that the Christian life is impossible? Did you know that? The Christian life, how God desires for it to be lived, is impossible. And nobody here today can live it. Only one can live it. And he did live it for you and for me. And today, he desires to still live his life through you and me. I want to give you five intentions today, five intentions given by Jesus to every disciple. Five intentions given by Jesus to every disciple, to every single saint. Not New Orleans saints, but to every Christian, every born-again believer. Number one. The first intention given by the Lord Jesus to believers. We are given a higher calling. 
given a higher calling. In verse 6, the disciple says, Lord, is it now the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? You see, they were looking for a political and a military military takeover to restore Israel just how they had been time and time again in the Old Testament. You see, they were thinking big, but they weren't thinking big enough. That describes many Christians, I believe, here in America. That describes my life, sadly. We want to do something big for God, but the Lord wants to do something a lot bigger than us or anything we could ever fathom for His glory. You see... God had not just called those disciples to be a part of restoring Israel. God had called those disciples to take the gospel to all people, to every single nation. Many times today, it's easy for us as Americans to intertwine our faith with our culture. Don't we do that? We, sometimes we think so much in those lines. God has called us to be a witness for the living God. Our end goal is not to change the culture. Now, when people get saved and they get right with the Lord, the culture is going to change because Christians are salt and light. But our goal is not to change the culture. Our goal is to make disciples, and God was very clear about that. Paul told Timothy, young Timothy, young pastor, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. We must decide today, church, whether we're going to do our own thing or whether we're going to jump on the wave that never stops. Whether we're going to do what we want to do for the Lord or rest crucified and die to ourselves totally and come and take his yoke upon us and follow him. We must decide. Nobody can decide that for you. Not your mother, not your father, not your son, not your daughter. You have to make a decision. You're going to follow Jesus with all your heart. Many here in the South are sweet, nice Christian folk. What was the last? But we're poor witnesses often. What was, here's, an exa- here's a test to see if we're a good witness. When was the last time you and I shared with somebody about what the Lord, what we saw God do? Now, God hasn't called us to be an attorney for Jesus. Did you know that? An attorney does what? They make a case. They make a case. They try to convince. They bring evidence. But Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. What does a witness do? They just simply share what they heard and what they saw. The problem and the reason people don't witness for Jesus is because a lot of people in the church have never seen God do anything and they've never heard him do anything because they don't have a personal relationship with him. And the good news today, friend, if that's you, you can come to Christ. You can be saved. You can be set free. Because when you put faith in the life of Jesus and in the death of Jesus and in the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved and you will be justified by your faith in the gospel. That's good news, friend. You can be forgiven of everything you've ever done because of what Jesus did on the cross. Then I, sweet Christians, not tell others how to be rescued from sin and hell. Doesn't seem so nice anymore when we think about it that way, does, does it? 
Jess Jennings in his book, missionary, our, one of our IMB missionaries, his book, Look, what God, Look Who God Can Use, he shares a story about a, a famous missionary. Her name was Lilius Trotter. In the 1800s, there was an Englishman named John Ruskin. You art people, Bay St. Louis is big on art. And John Ruskin was the leading art critic of his day in Europe. And he believed in young Lilias. He believed she could be the greatest artist, maybe the greatest that had ever been born. He decided to personally invest and help take her art to the world, which was unheard of in the 1800s for a lady in that culture in Europe. But he believed in young Lilius Trotter. But she heard a man by the name of Dwight L. Moody preach the gospel. And she decided to give her whole heart and life to the Lord. She turned down an opportunity of a lifetime to follow Jesus. Her family was upset. Her friends were upset. Her nation was upset. You say, what's the difference? American Christianity would say, you know what? Follow your dream. Make a lot of money. Become as famous as you can. And then you'll have a platform where you can, you can help tell more people about Jesus. Now, isn't that how we think in America? Now, here's the problem with that mindset. God's will becomes dependent upon our success. I'll say it again. If that mindset... God's will becomes dependent upon whether we are successful. In church, I just want to say in front of God and everybody, God's will is not dependent upon you and me. He's so much more sovereign than that, so much bigger than that. History's running right on time. He knows what he's doing. If our church does any great thing, it's because of the Lord God Almighty. And I certainly, it's, not, it's in spite of who I am. It's in spite of who you are. God doesn't need any of us. Age 26, Lilius embraced the cross. She wrote this in her journal. As clearly as daylight now, I cannot give myself to painting in the way that my mentor means. And I cannot do that with the same energy and continue to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So for the next eight years, she spent the, the next eight years of her life walking the streets of London, sharing the gospel with prostitutes, feeding them, discipling the new believers. Then in 1888, at the age of 35, she went with two of her friends to the country of Algeria. Algeria was an Arabic country, untapped with the gospel. She traveled by camel to many places that a European woman had never traveled. For the next 40 years of her life, she gave her, her everything to the people of Algeria to take the gospel to them. And it would be a great success story to just share about how all these millions of people got saved, but that's not what happened. Not many did come to know Christ. Sure, there, some did, but every single time people came to faith, she wrote, many came to Christ only to die. When they came to know Jesus, they were often banished, beaten, and drugged. You said, Pastor, what, why this story? Because Lilius Trotter, she understood that God had given her a greater calling, a higher calling. The disciples thought, okay, now we're going to do this thing, but God's saying, Guys, that's not for you to know. I'm doing so, something so much bigger. Christian, today, the excuse, well, that's just for missionaries. That's just for pastors. No, friend. 
Jesus is talking to all the disciples right here. Next, number two, an expectation that God gives is this. The disciples are given power from on high. They're given power. We are given power from on high. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power. Everybody say that word, please. Power. What do you think about when you hear that word? Power. The Greek word is dunamis. It's the word we get the English word dynamite from. Power. Explosion. And the Lord says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit... I like doing this for the Holy Spirit. It helps me, it helps me think about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, church, not one time do you see in the Bible, not one time in Scripture does God tell Christians to go and get baptized with the Holy Spirit. You don't see that in the Bible. Now, a lot of people say that and teach that, but it's not in the Scripture. Now, what you see the day of Pentecost happens is that the Holy Spirit came in power. Tongues of fire came and landed on every believer. And not only did it land on the believers, but the Holy Spirit indwelt the believers. So in the Old Testament, you see like the Holy Spirit came down and would anoint David for a a special task or for a special work or for a special miracle. But the Holy Spirit did not indwell David or Elijah. But in the New Testament, Jesus told the disciples, it's better for me to go away so I can send Parakletos, the helper, the consoler. The, I can send myself in spirit form to wear your flesh. Given power from on high. Now, I believe if you're going to get this, if I'm going to get this today, it's got to be God Almighty by the power of his spirit to open your eyes to see this precious truth. This, I believe it's a, just a secret in the Bible. It's it's not a secret, but it really is because most people don't understand it. Most people don't realize it. Most people have never gotten here. God has not called you to live the Christian life. So, Pastor, I thought I was supposed to do go serve the Lord. No. He's called you to die totally to yourself and let Jesus live his life through you, through your body. And in that, he uses your personality, he uses your hands and feet. He uses your eyes. He uses your voice. But he's working through you. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. Now, Paul, he was a great theologian. He's a great teacher. Great. I mean, if anybody was teaching the Sunday school class, Paul would be the one to do it. If anybody's going to rally up the troops and go tell somebody about Jesus, you want Paul on the team. But Paul himself said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Well, that's so sad. We like Paul. No, here's the good news. But Christ. But Christ. But Christ lives in me, Paul says. 
the life I now live in the body, I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that? Lilius Trotter wrote, When I am buried with Christ, it silences both I can and I can't. When was the last time you said I can or I can't? She says, when I'm buried with Christ, it silences both I can and I can't. Both are equally full of fleshly effort and pride. Then she writes this, it's no longer I, but Christ, but Christ. There's a great difference. Can you say that? I, I, I don't want me to be doing anything. God, I want you to be totally indwell my body. God, I want you to just totally indwell my humanity. It's a mystery. You receive power. You see, that the reason the book of Acts is so incredible is because it wasn't the disciples doing anything. It was because God was moving through them. Next we see clear command, clear expectation to the disciples. Number three, they are given the high call to witness. The high call to witness. Now, it's very prophetic whenever he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Very prophetic. Guys, you're going to do this. And it happened, didn't it? Oh, yeah, it did. It happened. But not only is it prophetic, but it is a clear mandate. It is a clear expectation for God's sons and daughters to be witnesses. They say, there goes the pastors talking about witnessing about Jesus, telling people about Jesus. And you, and you say, Pastor, I've just decided that's not who I am and I'm not going to do it. Friend, if you cannot tell somebody what you have seen God do, and what you have heard him do in your life, then I believe there's a great possibility you are lost as a goose this morning. A witness just says what God's done. It doesn't take a great theologian. It doesn't take knowing a lot about the Bible. All you have to say is, look, I know I was lost, and I know now that I'm found. I know this is where I was, and I know God worked in my life, and I don't know how to explain it, but I just know I'm different. God's changed. He's forgiven me. He's put a new song in my heart. And if you can't say that today, church, individual, if you cannot say that, if you cannot tell somebody what God's done in your life, then friend, I want to warn you, you're not ready for heaven. You're not. Because you don't have a personal testimony, which means you don't know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, the Bible says you'll split hell wide open. It's appointed once for the man to die, the Bible says, and then comes the judgment. The good news is today, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Last weekend, at the student event, we saw five students accept Jesus, coming to Christ. One of those was a young lady from the country of Japan, an exchange student. She had to count the costs. She'd been already thinking about it. Japan, the whole country of Japan, is an unreached people group. What's an unreached people group? It's where less than 2% of a population are Christians. 
And now that young lady who's called upon the name of the Lord, she's going to be trained. She's already being trained with Japanese discipleship material from missionaries, and she's being prepared to go back into her nation to share the gospel and make disciples. Evangelism is the very first part of discipleship, of disciple-making. And believers, we are given the high call. High mean it's a great privilege. It's It's upward. It's bigger than us. It's a call from God to witness, to share with people. The word here for witness, you'll notice in verse 8. You will be my witnesses. That word for witness is the same exact word used in the Bible for martyr. There's not two words. It's one word. And it has two meanings. It means to witness, to tell people, but also to die for the faith. Now, do you think that's coincidence? I think not. Did you know that more Christians have been martyred for their faith in the last 50 years than they have the past over 1,950 years? The past 50 years, more Christians have died for their faith in the Lord Jesus. North Korea, Open Doors USA, a ministry nonprofit tells us that there are 50,000 Christians today in North Korea in concentration camps right now. 50,000 people who are, because of their faith in Jesus, they're in prison, suffering. Many are dying, and we're worried about somebody thinking we're a Jesus freak. So we don't tell them about the only one that can save them. Well, I don't want them to think I take uh, my church too seriously. I mean, are you kidding me? God created the earth. He's the, the sovereign king of the universe. Our brothers and sisters are going through hell. And we have an opportunity. We have the freedom to, to be a witness. You know, in North Korea, if you get caught reading your Bible... They'll throw you in a concentration camp, and then they're going to throw your mother and your father in a concentration camp, and then they're going to throw your brother and your sisters in a concentration camp, and then they're going to throw your uncles and your aunts in a concentration camp just because they're related to you. And then they're going to take all your cousins and round them up, and they're going to put them in a concentration camp. And then, after that, they go after your second cousins. Now, some of y'all never even met your second cousin. But I hope you hadn't married them. And your second, and then your so your your second cousin, they go after all of them, and they round all those people up just because you were caught reading your Bible. You see, North Korea—they're not a friendly country. I believe they're a country run by the devil. They hate the light and they hate God. God's only going to stand for it for so long. But in spite of all that, the North Korean church is growing in power. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because of them? No way, friend. It's because they're weak enough to depend upon God. In China, we see one of the fastest growing churches in the world. My friend Eugene Bach and the Back to Jerusalem missionary people, they've discovered a way to take a, a little 
device the size of a pill, like you swallow, like the size of an antibiotic, and it's a hologram, and it shows up in front of your face like a projector, and it's got the entire Bible on it. Genesis through Revelation. Isn't that awesome? Here's the point. You can't stop Jesus. No matter how hard you try to stomp out the gospel, you cannot do it. You can't stop him. You can't shut him up. You can't kill him. The kingdom of God is on the move. Next we see that believers, the disciples, are given a high call to the nations. Given a high call to the nations. Say, y'all sure do talk a lot about other countries in in, uh, your church. Well, it's because Jesus died for all the countries. That's why. Jesus died for all peoples. It's all through the Bible, from Abraham to the Apostle Paul, from Genesis to Revelation. We see God has a heart for all peoples to worship him. And believer, you, if you're a disciple, you have also been given a high call to be concerned about reaching the nations. Today, there are 7,000 unreached people groups, less than 2%. Where are God's people who are willing to lay down their small plans and to go east with the gospel? I believe there are 7,000 local churches. Now, what would it look like if every single one of those churches decided they're going to adopt a people group, they're going to raise up missionaries from within that church, and they're going to send them, and they're going to support them? You see, if every church took the, the Great Commission seriously, we would do this. There are still over 1,500 languages where people do not have one verse in their language of Scripture. 1,500. It is 2019. And there are 1,500 people that do not have Scripture in their native language. Why? Because men and women called by God have decided to do their own thing. Oh, for the glory of God. When God is calling people to go. Everybody wants a lighter cross, don't we? Oh God, would you just lessen the load up a little bit? God, I want a lighter cross. But friend, the Lord is worthy today of you and I carrying a heavier cross. Because he is worthy of everything. Let's don't pray, God, give me a lighter cross. God, give me strength to endure the cross you've given me to bear. God, give me a stronger back to carry my cross for the glory of God. Business as usual is not going to finish the Great Commission. It's not going to do it. Business as usual is not going to reach the 46,000 people in Hancock County. It's not going to do it. It's going to take somebody getting a burden. It's going to take somebody calling upon the power of the Lord, praying, seeking God's face, which brings us to the next point. Next we see that the disciples are given the high privilege to pray. Disciples are given the high privilege to pray. Now Jesus ascends, he goes back to heaven. Now look what happens, verse 12. Then they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter, and John, and James, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, 
James Reardon, no, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, and all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They weren't all in a Honda Accord. They were all with one accord. They were, what were they doing? What were they doing? Anybody? They were praying. They were devoting themselves to praying. Now, they could have had a whiteboard and said, okay, let's just figure out how we're going to reach all these people in the world. No. They said, Jesus had taught them for three years. He's going to send something called the helper. They didn't know what that meant. Then Jesus goes to heaven. He reminds them again, I'm about to send the power. I'm about to send the helper. I'm about to send him. Go, get ready. Now, this, this is the heavyweights of the faith right here. Peter, James, and John. And not just all those guys. Look, look what else happens. Together with the women. Now, you got the women praying. You know something's going to happen. The women are praying. And Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know God chose her because she was humble and loved God. You have Mary. She's praying. And Jesus' brothers, which we know is, one of those was James, who wrote the book of James, old camel knees, leader of the Jerusalem church. So you have these heavyweights of the faith. They're gathering. Now, if anybody should be on a platform, it would be these folks, right? But instead, they didn't just sit around and share ideas. No, they prayed. They prayed. What a privilege. They prayed and they waited on the Lord. All through the Bible, you'll find out that when believing prayer went up to God, God was faithful to move. God was faithful to hear those prayers. Men had always answered the prayers how they wanted. But God heard from earth and he answered. I get ready to close. Lilius Trotter in fighting deep spiritual wars in Algeria. She couldn't speak any Arabic. Her and her two friends, they didn't have any money. They didn't know what they were doing. They, they fought the battles with prayer. And many times when she was fighting those battles in prayer, she would remember the story of Napoleon going to battle. And one specific time, Napoleon, it, it, there was an ice storm and a blizzard, and there, these countries were fighting. And Napoleon said, told the gunners who were shooting the cannonballs to, to aim for the ice because the, this, the enemy was advancing over a large lake and Napoleon said, aim for the ice with the cannonballs. Break the ice. The enemy will fall into the water. They cannot cross and will win the battle. Well, the gunners begin to fire the cannonballs and those cannonballs would hit the ice and just skip across, totally unharmed. And then Napoleon, with a stroke of genius... He screamed out, fire upward, fire upward. Then the balls would begin to crash through that ice. The enemy was defeated and the battle was won. Friend, today God's looking for somebody 
Somebody to be a witness. God's looking for somebody in the house to fire upward. To call upon the only one that can move mountains. To call upon the only one that can turn our nation to the Lord. Calling upon the only one that can empower and dwell believers to win people to Jesus, disciple the new believers, and send them out to make disciples of all nations. May we, our local body, fire upwards. And may the power of our God come crashing down for his glory so that many can be saved by the power of the gospel.